speed, agility, power. I'm a big fan of these things. All of the performance I demand for myself on the ice is here. Handles all of my needs in dynamic fashion. We're just riffing off mic about stuff that is not allowed to make it into the show. Uh, hi, everybody. Welcome to Roxy Fever. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, We're... Jackson McDonald. Vias is here with me as well. And, uh, of course, uh, with draft season just upon us, we also have longtime friend of the show. J.D. Burke is uh, kind enough to join us on this very early morning for me to uh, talk about bullshit and make sure we actually get an episode out between the Stanley Cup final and the draft. So how are you doing, J.D.? I'm doing all right. I mean, Pass It to Bullis is launching a coup. We've got the uh, <laughs> the draft on the horizon. We have yes. the, the Jersey snafu. It's a hell of a time to, uh, I don't know, cover the sport and also just be alive. I mean, God, what, a lot happening right now. That's true. Yeah, I do think it's funny. I I, I mean, obviously, the Pass It to Bullis angle is the is the most obvious one but honestly the pardon, thing that pardon me what happened did i miss something this morning daniel wagner group is oh oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, i love it when Turn off on, five yeah. minutes to get a joke it is early yeah that's a throwback one second that's one second um i know i was gonna say like obviously that's the 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 obvious joke to make but the thing that i keep coming back from or keep coming back to sorry i'm very tired is like when I saw the news, it's like the Wagner group is staging a coup. I was just immediately like, that sounds like a law firm. Like, it's weird that yeah. that this like paramilitary group or whatever just sounds like like it's it's like if there was a uh, like a fascist coup in Italy in the 50s. And it was like Salino and Barnes group. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I thought it was. It helps weird. make it clear that they're all Nazis on each side of this thing. That's true. Yeah. 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 Like, I saw a tweet that was like both sides of the Civil War. And it's just the, the YouTube rap battles of history. And it's, I am Hitler. Uh, but for both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Yeah, it's there's somehow like three Nazi groups involved here, with the other war happening. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll hold back on. Oh my god, I definitely cannot <laughs> talk about. I, I didn't know what was fucking happening. I was at work all day yesterday, so I didn't even know what was happening until, basically, like, I don't know, last night, right before I went to bed, and even then, I was so confused because I was just like. Yeah, well, once again, who the Twitter fuck are these people? Especially with Twitter verification the way it is. Like, oh, how do you God. what to trust and what's real? And Yeah. So I, I didn't even, like, bother trying. I was like, eh, the important stuff will get to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just wait I mean, for I finish... certain podcasts to put out episodes, and then I, I'm sure I I'll finish, more. I finished the first two Call of Duty Modern Warfare campaigns back in the back of the day. I think I know how this one shakes out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, like all those jokes are are very apt. That this is just like the first Call of Duty. Can I, wait, I assume one of you played this. Oh, buddy, I played all of them. Yeah, yeah. It's like 
back in the day when video game companies were like, hey, we can't make China the villain. We probably shouldn't make Russia the villain. Let's let's say there's like a like a weird Russian group, like an alt ultranationalists that are gonna that are gonna be the villains here. And that guy looks exactly like like he looks like a like a rendering of a of a villain in a video game, like a PS2 video game. Kind of like the, the dude you snipe at the end of the first modern warfare, you know? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really play murder simulators. I I'm a an ethical gamer. I only play games that are made by uh, the company that forced that one guy into indentured slavery for uh, the rest of his life or indentured it servitude. Like, it sounds like a lot of games these days. What, what one is probably that? you're probably right. Yeah, isn't that every studio? Like, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised. <laughs> I know there was one uh, fairly vicious incident involving Nintendo, apparently, that really bummed me out. But whatever. Mm. Of course, the you have someone really who buys on the show and you have to talk about an indentured servitude. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> hey, so, is the yeah, sports please. that have a sports in 650, do they have a monopoly on the Russian anthem? Because can we, Justin, can you, can we, Justin, can you please put that in here? <laughs> Feels appropriate. <laughs> we, have, we, have, we have JD on the show. We should just have the we should just put the Russian anthem in uh, instead of the theme song. Just for <laughs> just for JD, just for JD being here. Yeah, no, entirely fair. Day. I guess some people might not remember, but on Sports on six fifty, that JD uh, ten forty in the morning. Oh, it's true, it was 1040. on ten forty. Yeah, right. RIP. Uh, hey, back when you were on the comedy channel. Speaking of which, uh, it, it does bear uh, mentioning that <laughs> the replacement funny 1040 radio station uh that is just i don't know repurposed like stand-up bits from sirius xm or something um that that just folded and it's like first two years so that's pretty funny i feel Uh, bad for the one person who worked for that station who just pushed the buttons yeah well I'm sure it is unfortunate for them, um, but it's also very <laughs> funny to me. The funniest thing that Funny 1040 did was fail within its first two years. Um, In its first two days. Like that station was dead on arrival. Like, that is true, yeah. It it just took this long for them to take it off the air. I, I don't know. From what I understand, like, it was, it was one thing. They, it was really just an error, I think, to use the same, uh, the same frequency. <laughs> because mm-hmm. anything was gonna fail like whatever they put on there was gonna fail oh yeah yeah by default so, so we should uh start by just acknowledging that this is the first episode uh officially of the off season that we've recorded because the stanley cup final uh concluded i think literally like a day after we recorded the episode with audrey uh the golden knights uh, gen- completing the gentleman's sweep, I believe, on the Florida Panthers. I really had reached the point with this and with the the conference finals as well, where I kind of stopped caring because it stopped being interesting to me. But uh, I am actually a lot happier that the Knights won than I thought I would be at the time. Um, it's been actually very uh, cathartic as somebody who was uh you know around for the 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 Corsi wars and etc to kind of I, I don't want to retcon the Vegas Golden Knights as like a nerd team or or uh, an advanced stats team or anything like that but it mm-hmm. it really is a a nice proof of concept uh for the idea that 
a lot of us were discussing five, six years ago that the intelligence of the average general manager in the National Hockey League was, in fact, uh, very low to the point where they could all get clowned on uh, by an expansion team within the first six years of their existence. Um, JD, as somebody who actually pays much closer attention to this stuff than I do now, uh, I was wondering if, uh, yeah, like, how did you feel about the the Knights pulling this off and maybe to a, a greater extent, like what it says about the rest of the league, that they were able to do it so quickly? Well, I mean, I, I like the Golden Knights as a team, just philosophically, the way they approach like building the roster is just so merciless, so cutthroat. And you don't see a lot of that in the NHL. Like, like think about the the absence of offer sheets and and just how, you know, a lot of really talented players just, I don't know, sit in the wakes and they don't get picked up because you don't want to shake the apple cart or upset opposing GMs, yada, yada. This team doesn't do that. Like, they <laughs> they have no sacred cows. Like, they will trade Max Pacioretty uh, within three seasons of, of spending Nick Suzuki in a pick to, to acquire him. Um, and they'll pay to get rid of him too. And and then they'll also get Jack Eichel. They'll also get Mark Stone. Like they, they'll do what they have to do to build a winning team. And I just respect that a lot because you don't see that often in the NHL. And just the idea that they built this roster by, I don't know, being gifted a team to me, like that, that just doesn't pass muster at all. They have like what, five players from the expansion draft still on the team? I mean, I, I actually think like, I don't want to diminish the 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 thing about the expansion draft is that people get it wrong. I think where I do think Vegas had a good expansion draft, and I do think having a good expansion draft ha- played a big role in the championship team that they have now. Even if like yeah, there aren't a ton of players left, but the players but, that but are it didn't left have to be as good as it was though, right? Like that's the part that people fuck up. Each team only had to lose one player. Exactly. And look at teams like Florida, they lost two thirds of a first line. Like that didn't have to happen. No, look there's Florida. They had to forfeit uh, Eric Halla on top of Alex Tuck. That's again two great players. Yeah. And, and perhaps you don't have Tuck's <laughs> Tuck on the roster right now, but you have Jack Eichel. Perhaps yes. you don't have Eric Halla right now, but you have Nicholas Waugh. Yeah. Um, so they just took advantage of, of every opportunity they had to make this team better. And I just think that is so cool. And and just in a league full of cowards at the GM spot, like yes. I respect the way they've built this team. And and you know, it's it's just like the, they buck convention in so many different respects. I mean, we're we're going to talk about the draft. They have, by my count, three players who they drafted on that team that won the cup. So do you have to build through the draft? Perhaps not. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like they just bunk convention in so many different ways. And I, I just respect the hell out of that. And I think it's something that is, I don't know, you should aspire towards, not not lament. And and just, you know, that's why I've kind of staked my claim on this team as being A, cool as hell, and B, I'm just kind of happy they won it all. Yeah, I I mean, I think the the thing that people say about the expansion draft is yeah yeah like you mentioned it earlier that they were somehow gifted a team because they were afforded i mean i i shouldn't even say slightly like they they were afforded significantly better expansion draft rules than what we've seen in the past 
But that says more about the absolutely abysmal uh, state of affairs that earlier expansion teams were put in than it does about the Knights or, uh, I guess, to a lesser extent, the the Kraken. Mm-hmm. It had also it had also been like twenty years since the last expansion team too, though, right? So it's it true. Like, it's it wasn't like Columbus true. was there five years ago and they didn't get the same deal. It's like, yeah, yeah. It's like there are there are people playing in the NHL right now that were not born the last time there was an expansion yeah. draft. Mm-hmm. But the yeah. the thing with like how because there are good players on the. Knights roster that are from that expansion draft, like really significant ones. Like obviously I, I can't remember whether it was Marcia so or Smith that they actually drafted. Uh, but I consider, yeah, 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 I consider both of those guys to be basically like expansion draft pickups. Shay Theodore was an expansion draft pickup. Uh, Wild Bill Carlson was an expansion draft pickup. Like they, their expansion draft played a huge role uh, actually, in why they're such a good team. Theodore, Theodore was a trade. Oh, you're right. He was. Yeah. From yes. The expansion draft. And it was because the Ducks wanted to protect, I believe, Fowler. Right. Yes. Hilarious. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I mean, like I like I said, the the you can uh their expansion draft like related because they were picked up for expansion considerations, which is really like the thing that Vegas did so well. It wasn't so much who they picked up in the draft. It was who they were able to pick up via trade so that they didn't take this particular player or so that they did take that particular player. Um, Ultimately, the thing that I think people just can't wrap their heads around, or some people can't anyways, is that like your team that is made up of every other team's like fourth best defenseman, eighth best forward and backup goalie or backup goalie, I should say should not be a cup contender in its first year. No. And yet that's exactly what happened. And you see even now, like obviously they did buy a couple of star players, but like who wins the consummate? This Jonathan Marcheseau, a guy who, if you want to go back to the nerd thing, like I think at Canucks army, until he broke out with the Panthers, mm-hmm. somebody from Canucks Army, like wh- whether it was yourself or myself or Ryan Beach or whoever else was there at the time, Perhaps every offseason <laughs> for, for three off seasons or four off seasons or whatever, like as long as he was sort of people knew who, who he was and he was like this depth player or whatever, somebody would write an article about like how somebody should sign Jonathan Marcheseau because he's going to be found money because he just can't get playing time in Tampa Bay and all of his like rate stats and underlying numbers are exceptional. And like, he's going to be a top six player somewhere. Um, I definitely wrote that article. I feel like you also wrote that article at some point. At some point I would have had to. <laughs> yeah. And would have come up. it's, it's, it's just funny because like, it was like everybody knew, but it just needed a, you just he just needed a chance for it to materialize and it's very funny that it did and then dale talon was like this guy actually sucks and we have to trade away another really good player to get rid of him to Um, to protect alex petrovic i believe that is so funny 
Yeah. You're right. It was. <laughs> the AHL, I believe, is like a second pair guy. Yeah. Yeah. Which, of course. And and what's Dale Talon up to these days? Yeah, I can't remember. If any, <laughs> whoever, whichever team hired him must be feeling really stupid right now. One would um, have to think. V, uh, Vias, I, I, I have any... a question. Yeah, I do right, have a question. Yeah. Now, I think I've read, I was paying a lot more attention to what was happening with the Knights in the first couple of years after because it was so fascinating to see a team operate like that. Like, it really does remind me of when I start a new hockey video game and, like, open up <laughs> franchise mode as the Canucks. And then, like, since I was a kid, I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to trade everybody because, you know, world's my oyster. And that's what, like, the aggressive nature of how the Knights have been acting even since the the first uh, cup final run they did. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought they would have kind of quieted down after that and be like, okay, we have a team. Let's just tinker around the edges like we're every other team uh, now that we've established something here. But no, they just constantly operate like they're at a constant sprint. Like, what is the theme? Like, I guess the question I have is, how do you what is the pattern for how they how they build a team is like, why can't other teams do it? Like, yes, they're making lots of moves. But what are the types of moves that they're making? Like, do you guys see a thread with how they're operating like in the last three years not talking about the first three years like don't mention expansion Mm -hmm. uh but yeah but i mean how many teams would take a clean slate like how many gms would go like i just want all my contracts off the books i just want to you know start with zero problems counted for like the amount of flexibility you would have and what you could do with that like that's how you create a team like this and to to not quite the same degree you could do that with the seattle kraken as well right like flexibility counts for a lot and also pro scouting does too like the vegas golden knights identified some players that you know chandler stevenson was a fourth line center with washington now he's a 2c with vegas and he's performing admirably their ability to continuously find players like that has been utterly unbelievable yeah i mean you look at nicholas watt too like he was a what 13th forward with with carolina and now he is you know, quintessential top or sorry, bottom six piece. Um, they've done that on the blue line as well. I mean, Alec Martinez, it looked like he was at the end of his his career mm-hmm. with LA and now he's top four and, and he's helped them win a cup and he's done so playing huge minutes for that team. Uh, you go up and down the roster, like they just scout really well. And and even like the acquisition of Ivan Barbashev, like Barbashev can play. He's a good player, but like they identified someone who fits so perfectly with the composition of that roster. And, and in terms of the, the, the full composition of that group, I think they coveted depth. I mean, like mm-hmm. how many teams can have Eichel, William Carlson and, and, and uh, Mark Stone on separate lines at that yeah. point, right? Like if you're the Vegas Golden Knights, you can dominate the flow of, of play at five on five with any given forward group. That's a luxury that most teams just do not have. And and you saw it in the playoffs. I mean, that's how they shut down Connor McDavid. Like they they had Will Carlson on him, and that freed up somebody like Jack Eichel to do his thing offensively. Uh, you know, and and just having that that flexibility, that depth, that ability to match anyone at five on five, it creates opportunities down the the roster. And and I think they took advantage of that. And so I think those are are the lessons. And they also they went with the Vios plan and goal. Uh, you know? oh, yeah, that's right. Logan Thompson, Laurent Boissat, Aiden Hill, Jonathan Quick, and yeah. Robin Leonard might return next season. Next season, yeah. 
which is so funny. <laughs> look at the cap crunch this team is in, and they have a five million goalie in the in the wings, just waiting to show up. Again. It's been a tough couple of years for the goalie guild, I have to say. Oh, they've uh, taken L upon L upon <laughs> L, and I just love it. Oh, me too. Like you yeah. know, quads. We poke fun at him all the time, and and we had a bet about the Maple Leafs in the first round. He's like, oh, they can't win without a quality goalie, and it, it's like, okay, Darcy Kemper won with one eye. Um, yeah, exactly. And- <laughs> yeah. Went from a cast off on like the the worst team, San Jose, to like Con Smythe caliber, like out of nowhere. He so, went like, Kipper soft mode. Yeah, he went Kipper soft mode. So like. I don't know. It's it's been a tough few seasons for the goalie guild, and I love it. And yeah, I don't know. This Vegas Golden Knights team, just a lot of flexibility and a lot of really good pro scouting. That's how I would define this group. Something I have two else. quick thoughts. Oh yeah, please, uh, yeah. I have two quick thoughts before Jackson takes the mic. Uh, one is that just to reiterate what the Vios plan for goalies is is I get tired of seeing like two goalies share twenty million dollars in cap space or whatever it is or fifteen million. I think. You should treat goalies as pitchers and just pay each of them $2 million and get like six or seven of them and just roll the dice because goalies just get hot. And you can never rely on, you you can never predict what's going to happen. So why not just have more to choose from? Uh, My other thought is you mentioned scouting and this is not me shifting to the draft, uh, Mm -hmm. but you work professionally with scouts and you cover scouts and you 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 build relationships with scouts. What is it about Vegas's pro and amateur scout? I guess just pro scouting team that like uh, that sets themselves differently from the rest of the league. Um, well, they identify players, and and this is kind of true to how they were born, right? Through the ex- expansion draft, they found players who needed a new role to bring out the best in them. Like that would be Stevenson, that would be Will Carlson, that would be Nicholas Waugh. Like they, they identify players before they hit their peak so that it aligns with their, mm. their cap structure, with the group they're building. And so that's how you get Nicholas Waugh at 3 million. You know, that's how you get Will Carlson at 5.9. And, and he could have been a Con Smythe candidate legitimately. It's all about finding these players ahead of when the, the, the check is due, if you get my meaning, right? Like they, yeah. they put them ahead of, of when they, they pop off. And in so doing, they lock them into really affordable contracts and the team as a whole is is better for it. Like you look at the payment structure and of course they have Eichel and Stone at nine and a half and 10 million. But beyond that, it's a bunch, a bunch of guys at like five, three, 2.75. Do you know what I mean? Like they, yeah. they people ahead of the breakout, lock them in long-term. It's a bit like David Poyle before, you know, yeah. trying to do the, uh, the Jay Feaster thing with the Preds for the last four seasons. Like think of how many uh, like Callie Yarncroke type deals that he signed. Yeah. I, mm. I don't think it's fair to like hold David Poyle's last few years against him. I think David well, Poyle was for a time, a very good general manager. And he went out on a high note. Like you look at the Nashville predators page and they have so much cap space. They, yeah. they have so many draft picks. Like this team is built to rebuild very quickly. So yes, he went out on a high note and he was mostly very good. Um, and and yeah, I think that a lot of what David Poyle did well also applies to this Golden Knights team, but they've just taken it to the next level. And, and that, they oh, have a little bad. bit more uh, like just, I'm trying to think of the, like prestige, I think. Like not, not in the sense that like prestige as a franchise, but just like 
they have the big new shiny expansion team that also happens to be in a place that a lot of people would like to go to like to visit like to live in and so they're able to do things in addition to identifying these kind of like Chandler Stevenson type guys, they're also able to take a big swing on Eichel because they know that Eichel like will want to live there and stay there for a long time. And they're able to go out and get maybe the best free agent coach uh, that we've seen in like quite some time uh, for the same reason. So like they not only can they identify the uh the sort of diamonds in the rough or whatever to pad out the roster they can also go out and get the big fish because you know it there's not a lot of uh, or maybe no no state tax for all i know and you know, so like low taxes nice weather uh you know uh uh like destination city uh they they have a lot of things working in their favor and i mean i it all flows from what you were talking about having a good organization but that stuff helps a ton as well yeah but i would also add that they are able to do that because of the the nick was on three million do you know what i mean mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. one informs the other no, you're right yeah the other thing i would add too is that they spend a lot off of the ice like yes. there's, there's no cap on what you can spend on a practice facility on pro scouting on um water for your uh farm workers worker. yeah yeah like yeah. all these things like they do that they go above and beyond so that's part of creating the environment that people want to play in so i mean they just do everything right like it's it's yeah, yeah. impressive like if i was to critique this team i don't know what i would arrive at and even looking at the cap friendly page they have three picks through the first three rounds so they they aren't like asset barren mm -hmm. too i mean like they they just it's it's really impressive. I don't know how else to say it. Like this team is just really well run from top to bottom. And yeah, the Bruce Cassidy thing too. Like that went so I feel like underrated. And perhaps it went that way because Pete DeBoer was also an excellent coach. And of course, they both met in the the Western Conference Finals. But like Bruce Cassidy, what a what a hire! I mean, he's a hell of a coach, and it's no surprise that he got them a cup. So yeah, just a hell of a franchise. Uh, something else that I was laughing about. Um, the timing on this is like, I, I wish the timing lined up perfectly, but it doesn't quite, but like, but very, very close. Um, since 2016, like since a few weeks, like not even a few weeks before the, uh, the uh, Leafs drafted Austin Matthews in 2016, Bill Kessel, Luke Shen, uh, Tyler Bozak, and Nazem Kadri have combined for seven Stanley Cup wins, <laughs> <laughs> which is hilarious. Uh, I was thinking you're, about that. Awesome to see it. That is actually kind of wild when you think about like those those guys who I think are like more associated with the giant era of failure under Burke and Nonis than like almost anyone else from and that Fletcher, team. Yeah. Very funny. Very, yeah. very funny. Yeah. Uh, so we should uh, uh, move on from, uh, from the Stanley cup final. So that. Uh, Sorry, can I ask one more question? It, I think, I think it's a okay, closer sure. question on, on the right, nights. Right. What is like, we always talk about what the impact of one team winning a cup will be on the rest of the league and behavior. And like, I feel like that never ends up actually happening, but it is a fun thing to talk about. Mm -hmm. 
with all this evidence, six years, like a Vegas one in the first year, I don't think a lot of GMs would have suddenly switched their tune and started being more aggressive or whatever. But now they've seen how successful you can be over six years and, and what the payoff is. What is stopping other GMs from being as aggressive as the Knights? Like the the whole clean slate stuff aside, which I guess is easy for me to say. Uh, but yeah, what what do you think? What do you think the message is for for GMs after after this? Well, you have to be willing to upset the the old boys club and agents too, right? Like I'm I'm sure that that Max Pacioretty thought he would be a Golden Knight into his late thirties. Um, I'm sure that a lot of GMs thought. You know that the, that the Golden Knights would take it easy on them in expansion, um, but they don't. They are ruthless, and that's that's the lesson that you have to internalize from this team is that you have to be willing to upset people to win. Um, you know, and and I think more than anything that that is the lesson to take away is that you have to have no sacred cows. You have to have no players on the team that you are beholden to. No GMs that you have to appease. You have to be willing to to piss some people off to win, and and they've done that. And I think that's one lesson that any team can take from the Golden Knights in this Cup win. Truthfully, mm. I guess it helps that they have a GM that has a lot more experience. Like, because the flip side of that, sometimes when we think about like why can't this GM be more aggressive, I think we always come to is like, well, the other GMs will freeze them out, and well, like, they'll, they'll the Boys Club will close in. They'll retaliate is always the way it's yeah. especially with, with offer sheets, right? Right. Yeah. Not that the Golden Knights have used that, but that's one method you could use, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, thanks. I've never uh I've never really bought the argument that uh like you can't be too aggressive because other teams will like I worry a lot more like Vias said about you just kind of get iced out. I think we saw that a little bit with Gillis where teams just don't want to make deals with you. And that is, that can be tough. And obviously I, I do think it's a real risk, but at the same time, you kind of have to just be confident enough that, well, you know, if teams don't want to make deals with us, then we're going to find our players through the draft and free agency. And, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it, no team gets completely iced out of making trades. Like you find the, you find the team that's desperate enough to do business with you. Like there's a there's a certain uh, point I think that you have to reach where you you have to be able to go. Look, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not here to be make friends, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, like, you're, you're there to win cups. Yeah, I'm not here to like like the the point is not for me to have the most friends in the league that like hanging out with me and talking to me on the phone. It's like, I, I should be willing to sacrifice that to a certain degree to, uh, to win, to be successful. Um, yeah. So all, G- I, all GMs. What? I would imagine it helps too that you have Kelly <laughs> McCrimmon and George McPhee doing that as opposed to like, say a Kyle Dubas. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's right. the point I was, I was saying before, like that, that they have experience that they won't necessarily be as I out as somebody new. Mm-hmm. So I do yeah. want to uh, move on to the uh, warm-up jersey snafu. Uh, Last comment before that is... Up. Oh, all, my God, Vias. All, all G- no, it's not, not a question. Not a I question. have to it's go to work in like 40 minutes. <laughs> all GMs do is sit on their beds, uh, face down, have their, their feet up. Uh, they're twirling their hair on the phone with their friends. That's all being a GM is. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. 
So uh, I think I've tried to do this transition about five times now, uh, <laughs> but the NHL decided to uh, nix all warm-up jerseys uh, in a decision they announced a couple of days ago. Uh, obviously, as a response to the uh, endless parade of negative attention that uh, a lot of players received for refusing to wear the uh you know rainbow pride themed Ten players that were uh a lot that were you know going around a lot uh, a lot of different teams did them the Canucks uh I think are kind of the most notable uh because of how consistently they've done them and how good the jerseys have been but lots of other teams have done them as well uh, and the NHL came out the other day and basically said no more warm up jerseys for anybody for anything, uh, which I think is kind of it's very funny, actually, like, obviously, as far as like, as a barometer for where the culture is at, this is very bad. And I think it's also very bad in the sense that it uh well first of all it empowers and appeases a small number of dickheads mm -hmm. and it also i think makes it easier for teams to just not do anything for pride which sucks and which I think we all that, know that's what's going to happen too right for sure uh i mean the overall effect on the league will be that there will be some teams that start doing less for pride or or end up doing nothing at all I don't suspect that to be the case, for example, in Vancouver. I think Vancouver will probably just continue to do what they've done, minus the jerseys. Um, but I also think, you know, at this is a this is gonna happen on Pride Nights. It's we're not gonna see it happen across the board, and that's the the thing to keep in mind. Uh as I say. The other thing that I'm going to say, which is that I do think it's very funny that in the process of having to be like, okay, we're not doing pride jerseys anymore. They also had to be like, we're also not doing military jerseys, uh, St. Patrick's Day jerseys, and also like cancer awareness jerseys. Uh, I, I will I will say the hockey fights cancer jerseys. Yeah. Very ugly. Well, that's do the better, thing, right? Do better. Like it, it, it is there. There, it's. Was I in trouble for that? I don't know. It was. It was hard for for me, not to just immediately be like, you know what, <laughs> like sucks about the pride jerseys, but I, honestly, like I'm I'm pretty down with the fact that I'm not gonna have to see these other three jerseys anymore, um, because obviously, like I said, like I know the stakes, like I know the. I know that, um, for example, like Pride Nights are at more of a risk of going away than Hockey Fights Cancer Night, which just won't get a jersey, but will still continue for all 32 teams across the, the league, I'm sure. Um, mm -hmm. But it is funny that they kind of backed themselves into this corner and then the only way out was for them to just kind of uh, lift up a giant middle finger to like, any organization that does outreach through <laughs> NHL teams like raises money or awareness or whatever. And, um, you know, I, 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 I guess what I'm saying is I think Gary Bettman uh, deserves a lot of uh, 
commendation for taking on big cancer and uh the Susan G. Komen Foundation. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I uh, I'm I'm very concerned because now all the players are gonna start all the games cold. That's true. <laughs> but they're Fair point. They, they, they there's gonna be so many more injuries. They're they're gonna need to get a jacket on the bench. Uh, oh man. <laughs> I'm just picturing that like they can't wear warm up jerseys like at all. They're all like uh that one picture of Chris Higgins. Of Chris Higgins. Yeah. Honestly, I'll be I'll be honest with you. People hey, talk about be pretty, people talk about good. growing the game a lot, and honestly, like <laughs> The, that would do this, it. this might be the sacrifice that we that they needed to take to finally get more female viewers <laughs> it, it, you know uh, get, get more women's eyes on the game and mm-hmm. uh, and also you know frankly like it's you know it, it's a classic um uh, you know team of rivals style compromise like okay look they're not going to wear all these like muscular guys, they're not going to wear the rainbow jerseys anymore, but we will have them just skate around with no jersey at all. <laughs> what so... about awesome socks? Can they can they wear those or <laughs> do that oh, you, you know, it, it'd be funny to see what people get mad about if the whole league or like, but like everybody could see, uh, could compare between everybody's body shapes. Yeah, uh, you would totally see talk about like, oh, like, uh, why doesn't this player have a six pack like like this player or like my team has more six packs than your team? Yeah, yeah. and uh, it'd be it'd be awful. But uh, a, a new way to shame Kuzmenko. Yeah. <laughs> Although, have you seen him lately? He is not fat yeah. anymore. He's looking fucking ripped. Well, well, yeah, because it fueled him. Yeah. Well, there's no more people like going up to him and feeding him calories that are not. <laughs> <laughs> factored in already I hope, he, I hope he just continues to get more and more ripped but just eats more and more on the bench at the same time <laughs> like he's just like downing like a plate of spaghetti he's got a hot dog in one hand yeah uh, he prom- he'd help promote the the fucking concourse food while he's up there get a stand the steamer dog mm-hmm. etc uh, get get a get get a get a poke bowl on the bench. Did you <laughs> did you have any thoughts on the warm up jersey snafu, Vias? I know we kind of argued a little bit. Well, about we it we we argued because you described it as being a wash because which they were not, getting rid of the military things, and yeah, so that's is, what I was arguing with you. Yeah, about, you're, but, you're right. Which is not accurate, obviously. Yeah, because yeah, it, I'm kind of with Vias on that one. It's, yeah. it's definitely not a wash, especially when like you know this league and you know how this is going to go. Like they'll still have military appreciation nights, but you just know the pride is going to get scrapped by at least about half of the teams. Yeah, so. totally. And it's it's just so disappointing. It's such small league shit. Yeah, like you're you're kowtowing to about what nine people total, and of course we know that that number would have grown if not for the fact that they canceled uh, warm up jerseys in some markets like Minnesota and and I believe Chicago as well. But like it's still that's a small percentage. Mm-hmm. And and to kowtow to that group of people. I mean, like, I hate to to steal this line. I think that that Ryan Lambert says it, but the NHL really is the all lives matter league. Do you oh, know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that's yeah. the audience they try to covet and to just yeah. so brazenly, so mask off is just so disappointing. Uh, like this this league just can't get anything right. And and 
I don't know. It's upsetting. Like this, it's, I don't know how else to put it. It's upsetting and it's, it's dumb as shit. And sometimes I just, I hate the sport and I hate this league. <laughs> you, you know, it's interesting the way that the NHL and baseball have different schedules and, and kind of don't really overlap or like, you know, the NHL doesn't run through the summer and what's happened in the last two months. I know like, okay, I'll come out and say it. I recognize that homophobia has been going on for a long time. <laughs> that it didn't just show up recently as uh as a little little reply to one of my tweets yeah <laughs> uh, uh surmised but uh but i wonder if hockey had been running like as in the whole general league not just the playoffs where mm-hmm. teams are not trying to do entertainment stuff the whole point is is the playoff games right uh, but during the regular season, they're you know they're 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 celebrating different things, trying to get fans to to buy certain products. If hockey ran during the summer the same way baseball does, while the stupid Bud Light shit was kind of like the apex of all this, or like the first major sports impact of uh, of homophobia in the last year or so, like. Baseball play so many more baseball players came out against as far I I'm pretty sure I have it right. So many more baseball players came out against Pride Nights and like the currently the biggest team in baseball, the Los Angeles Angels, like had a massive uh, public spat about this where they canceled a game because Ted Cruz complained about it, even mm-hmm. though Ted Cruz is not even like Man, from California. Like bitches, it, it, it just blew up and it Christ. it blew up in such a much bigger extent in baseball over the last three, four months that I given the demographics of who plays baseball now, and it is like baseball is actually becoming a wider and a wider league. Uh, mm-hmm. th- like there's, w- there's actually way less black players in baseball now uh, than there used to be like 20 yeah. years ago. Um, that I think the same thing would have just happened in hockey. I, I think uh, if more players had more runway to, to, you know, give their thoughts about this, it would a lot looked a lot worse. And I yeah, kind of anticipate fair. that rolling through come September, October. Um, I, I guess I don't know what my, my, my point is, but it's like uh, the NHL didn't exist really during this whole Bud Light shit that kicked off a lot more. And mm-hmm. if it keeps going next season, I think we're going to see even worse stuff happen. Well, that's also what has to be said is that this this is being restoked because of trans paranoia. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. that that we we all know what's happening, and and that makes it yeah. all upsetting. Is that you know we not even putting up a fight against that? I suppose. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Have, so so few people are willing to. You have a chance to lead. Like if the MLB yeah. is going to kowtow to this, you can be the league that says we won't. We won't succumb to this pressure to the to these cranks, and instead, you you bowed out of the fight before it even started. So it's absolutely it's yeah. upsetting. Uh, yeah. Can I just it's point like... out? Can I just take a second to point out yep. the irony of a guy named Cruz being mad about celebrating gay pride? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I suppose funny. you can. It's your, it's your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, 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 who? Uh, I'm missing. Who's Cruz? Ted Cruz. Oh, Ted Cruz. Right. Ly- oh, oh, <laughs> you're yeah. the one who brought him. It's up. lying, Ted Cruz. That's why he's confused. Lying, yeah. lying, Ted. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, we should uh, we should uh, talk about the draft because that's why we have yep. uh, JD on. I guess the 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 best place to start here is I don't want to do the whole like 
I feel like every draft podcast starts to uh like kind of become the same show where you just ask like who are your guys who are the late round uh later round guys that interest you like who's boys boys there yeah, all or, about that boy auction yeah yeah uh i was busy thinking about boys um but uh yeah what i want to ask instead is i, I want to talk a little bit about alvian's presser and uh and and use that as a as a sort of gateway to talking about some of the different players that are going to be available i think the the most interesting thing that came out of the presser at least to me was that when alvian was asked about potential trades he mentioned tra- the possibility of trading up mm-hmm. rather than the one that we've discussed previously which is trading down uh, which was a bit of a surprise until I thought about it for uh, a little while. And then I realized that, that actually trading up is way more in line with what the Canucks do and how they've generally behaved than trading down. Because as we all know, Patrick Alvin, uh does not like to collect draft picks, uh, something that I assume he inherited either from the prior general manager or just from the ownership or the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, so taking a, a a big swing to to grab a guy uh, that's not going to fall to them actually kind of does seem like something they would do. Setting aside it. how likely that actually is that it could happen, I was wondering, JD, if you have a read on who the guy might be that they would want to target if they were well, going to trade up. I have an idea of who they like at 11, and it's Nate Danielson, it's Oliver Moore, it's Dmitry Simashev, and lately I've heard that they might like Zach Benson, but that's more of a recent development, and I don't know yeah. if that's a smokescreen, which it could be. I mean, that's that's often the play at this, you know, at this juncture, so... Yeah. Um, it, it, it's kind of fascinating for me to, to parse who they do like, because you look at Nate Danielson and that's a name that's come up a lot. They won't have to trade up to get him. I don't think, uh, they certainly shouldn't. That's not someone I would trade up for. It's not someone who I would be thrilled with at 11 if they just stand pat. And, And what's funny for me is, is philosophically like what a departure this is from the last draft when they took Jonathan LeCaramacchi, who was just all boom or bust. Like the, the, it was the like he was the foremost high risk high reward prospect in that draft, and you look at how his his D plus one went, and it's like ooh well <laughs> could be going bust, and and a part of me goes well has that kind of taken the wind out of out of their sails in terms of of chasing pure upside, or perhaps do they just see Danielson differently as someone who does have high upside? I mean he's got a six foot one frame, he plays down the middle, um, he he can skate well. Uh, he has some playmaking chops, but I think some of that was was obscured by playing on a pretty weak Brandon Wee Kings team. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just don't see a ton of upside. I see someone who could play on the wing long term and someone who probably is destined for a bottom six projection. So, you know, that one's fascinating to me. And if they moved up for him, like, wow, I would be just floored by that. Yeah, I want to return to Danielson in a minute too. Yeah, yeah, and 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 of course, then you have Oliver Moore, who I have a ton of time for. I mean, he's the fastest skater like in this draft, mm-hmm. and and he could keep up with McDavid. Honestly, like the way he skates is so powerful, so like mechanically fluid. It's just fun to watch. 
And, and he's a subject of some debate within the industry because you have scouts who see him as more of like a worker, someone destined for like the bottom six, who's going to grind it out, kill penalties, do matchup roles. Um, but I also think like what I said about Danielson kind of applies to, to more and, and perhaps to a greater extent because he was on that second line on the program and he still outproduced Logan Cooley um, from last year's draft. Right. So yeah. you look at all over more and you go, well, he was stuck with like Kerry Terrence at the U18s, all respect due. Um, and just his line mates, they, they would hide behind defensemen. They wouldn't get open. They couldn't do the give and go game. Like th- there were reasons that he couldn't produce at a rate commensurate with Will Smith. Like the, the, you can see how this happened and he still outproduced Logan Cooley. Um, so I think he would be someone to covet in that spot. And then you have Dmitry Simashev. And, and that one's interesting because I've heard a lot of different stuff about the Canucks and how they value Russians. And, and some people think they won't take one. Some people think that they are amenable to the idea. Um, if they take Simashev, like that is a full on upside play. Like he's six foot four and he skates like Quinn Hughes to borrow a line from Daniel G. Um, he's so mobile, but he didn't produce. Like he had one point through his first, I think like 20 games in the MHL and KHL combined. But then at the end of the season, he was at 0.75 points per game in the last, like, I think 25. So that you got an idea of, well, okay, we have proof of concept that he can produce. Um, still, I don't know if I rate his offensive upside as especially high. Um, but with the skating, with the defensive range, with the physicality, like he could be a top four defenseman for this team. And he's only uh, under contract for, I believe, two more seasons. So it's not like it would be a huge weight like Mitchkov. Yeah. Um, but of course, that brings us to Mitchkov, which yeah. is a fascinating play because a lot of talk out of the combine and Alvin's presser was that the Canucks would be willing to move up for Mitchkov. Now, this kind of flies in the face of the, the organizational philosophy to turn this thing around in one, two seasons. Like, I, you, 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 he won't be around. He can't be around. For at least three seasons. Yeah. But um, the idea that there's uncertainty with him, like I don't know that I buy that. Like geopolitically, yes. Like, like we said, Daniel is is launching a coup uh, <laughs> yeah. in, in Russia right now. But <laughs> we also know when his contract ends. There's no intrigue to that. Like it feels pretty certain to me. And <laughs> in terms of pure talent, like I rate him up there with with Adam Fantilli at, at yeah. second overall. So like that's someone who you look at this team's need for cost-controlled talent and cost-controlled game-breaking talent. Like if he falls into the seven, eight, nine range, well, I think you got to do it if you, if you can, if you're the Canucks and especially with the context that this team doesn't like, I, I, it, it is, it is what it is. They don't draft well. Like they just don't like you look at the, the, the second to seventh round swings that they've taken in past drafts. Like, I don't see any players like maybe Danila Klimovich, maybe. So if you have to give up like a second or third or fourth to make that happen, I think you have to do it. I think you have to do it. So especially because if you consider with the with the OEL buyout, um, which have we done an episode since the nope. OEL buyout happened? But no, I, uh, I just realized that. Well, the, just there re- we go. This repeat, is our repeat our old good brands and very first yeah, episode. Exactly. Champion. Yeah. Uh, obviously with the OEL buyout now, um, which we, yeah, have not talked about, but not really much to say, really. Uh, it's, it all just folds into this kind of discussion about what they're going to do anyways. Um, but with that happening now, adding a potential like 
nitrous first line winger on the first year of an ELC right around the time that the bio gets punitive. Uh, and and right as he enters his prime too. Yeah. That doesn't sound so bad. Like it, it, the question is always like, will the Canucks do something smart? Are the Canucks actually thinking past tomorrow? Um, and under Jim Benning, it was always very obvious that the answer was no. With these guys, it's it can be tough to tell sometimes. Uh, yeah, I mean, it can and it can't, right? Like if they if they thought Mishkov was going to fall and they had this intel in say April, why'd they make the Ronick trade? Yeah, I don't know. You know, like you you would have the ammunition and then some to do this. I mean, the the I answer like... that you come back to is always just that they really liked Philip Ronick. And, you know, I, 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 I do think that there's definitely, we've, we've been able to catch them in moments where they're certainly not thinking ahead, but I, I also don't like there are some moves and, and some things that they've done where I think it's debatable the extent to which like they were either locked into it or perhaps like, uh, negotiating under duress or, with management interfere or with sorry ownership interference and and so there's an extent to which like especially when you consider how bad rutherford's first year in pittsburgh was where you're where you know it's like they don't deserve the benefit of the doubt but they also haven't completely lost it yet for me because i just sort of want to see how the next like couple of months shake out and what they do at the draft and what they do with this offseason i'm not I don't feel very good about it, but I'm, I'm willing to, I'm still on, at a point where my mind could change, I guess. Well, they could have leaned into the tank too. Like they, they well, that's the funniest part. It yeah. had so many options to be in the spot. Like they just always take the, the road of most difficulty. Uh, you, you know what I mean? Like they, they always do this and it's just like, if they did think ahead, they, they could be in a spot to take Mishkov without having to move heaven and earth. Yeah, no, it's 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 undeniable. Like uh, the the idea that they would be talking about trading up after handling the end of their season the way they did is is actually just so frustrating that I I can't even spend too much time thinking about it. It's just too mm-hmm. stupid. Um, what would on... really be frustrating? Sorry, since yes, you please. brought yeah. that up, would be if they pass on Zach Benson. Oh God! I'll yeah. take a moment to talk about him because increasingly sure. I get the feeling that he will fall out of the top ten. And I don't get the sense that the Canucks have a ton of time for Benson. Now, it could be totally wrong. That could be a smokescreen. But, like, man, he is so good. Like, he he's first overall in last draft, like, with a bullet. Um, he's closer to Fantilli than he is to Will Smith. Like, he he is sure. so, like, in, in quality, I mean. Mm-hmm. And if he gets passed up, and like, that, you got a Jan 6th. Uh, Rogers Arena, if that happens, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because yeah, like yeah. that, that will be just so upsetting. Uh, and he's a local kid too, he can make plays and he works so hard, he's so diligent defensively, so intelligent. Like, we use shades of instead of direct player comps, sure, yeah. We landed on uh, Braden Point, and it's it's sure. not perfect by any means because Point can skate well. Yeah. But even Benson, like he's closer to below average than he is like critically deficient. Yeah. And he still produced at an exceptional clip in, in the WHL. And what's interesting about him is that he's always done that. Like he's been on a team with like multiple first round picks and he's always outproduced every one of them. 
yeah. yeah going back to his d minus one like he's so special he's going to play on a first line and if it's not with the canucks i will be pissed even though i'm not a fan because like i just how could uh, you be at this point yeah yeah it'll, it'll upset me on like so many levels yeah, so that's yeah. that's fair I, this actually ties in pretty nicely to the next thing that i wanted to ask about um which is the old uh drafting for position uh, argument or I guess rather non-argument because everybody always just says take the best player available mm-hmm. um, and I wanted to but I want I, I sort of wanted to discuss this from like a draft philosophy standpoint because I think there is a like drafting for positional need which is different from just taking position into account with who you're drafting I think everyone at this point generally agrees that like drafting a guy because you need a defenseman or because you need a center is painfully stupid and you should not do it because obviously by the time you get that player, you might not have a need anymore. You might have a new need somewhere else or a lot can change. A lot the can guy change. that you pick just could suck as well. And you know, like if you take a guy who's significantly less good, then let's say like Zach Benson, you know, you take you take Nate Danielson instead of Zach Benson because Nate Danielson's a center and Zach Benson's a winger. And you and then five years down the road, Zach Benson is lighting it up as a uh, first line winger for whoever. And Nate Danielson is a fourth line winger for some other team, because yeah, I mean, we, we have him in the late 20s. Yeah, for sure. Uh, which which makes perfect sense and i i do want to uh ask one more question about danielson too at some point but uh where i start to feel like this discussion can get a little bit myopic though is that that has sort of that people have taken the general like don't draft for positional need which i agree with and think is like correct and a good philosophy to almost going around entirely the other way and saying like position doesn't matter when you're drafting uh, a player, particularly like in, in the first round and in the high first round, which once again, like I do understand where that comes from, but at the same time with the way the game has developed and the market around players has developed since you know the the sort of dawn of the cap era i think it would be pretty naive to say that there is not like a positional hierarchy in terms of which players are the hardest to find which Mm -hmm. players are the most valuable to have in your organization versus trading for or signing as a free agent Mm -hmm. And so uh, I guess my um, my my question is like how close do and and I I do want to expand on this a little bit more, too. But like how close do two players have to be in quality for you to start saying, like, you know what, maybe I pick this guy because he's not a winger, essentially. And I'd, I'd say about equal, to be honest. Okay, yeah. Anything short of that, you still take the best player. And 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 the thing is, too, you're you're drafting assets. You're not drafting. You, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. if you get somebody who plays on the wing, and you can trade him for a center because he's turned out to be the superior asset, like you you come out on top. 
Um, same applies to defense. So I, I do think NHL teams, they sometimes do draft, like they'll always say best, best player, but they don't always operate according to that. And we Definitely. know that yeah. with Levy. And I think that's why David Reinbacher is going to go in the top 10 because he's a right shot defenseman and he's a hell of a prospect. I mean, he's, sure. he's our top ranked defenseman as well, but um, like for me, they'd have to be equal, you know, especially, especially with forwards, because a lot of the times you'll draft someone at center and then they'll turn into a, a winger at the, the next level. Right. Like you, it's really hard to predict who will stay at that position and who yeah, won't. And so like, you're splitting hairs at that point, just take the, the better player. Like if you told me five seasons or five years from now that, that Zach Benson was playing down the middle and, and Nate Danielson was playing on the wing, like I would believe that. Like I totally would, um, you know, Benson played left wing his whole, his whole draft year, but he has a history playing center. So, and he has the intelligence too. So, you know, a lot can change very quickly. You want assets and you want the best assets. I mean, look at the devils, right? Like they drafted Shakir Mukamadulin and, and, you know, they don't have a needed defense anymore. Well, what can you do with that? You can turn it into Timo Meyer. Mm-hmm. What if they'd taken, for example, I don't know, uh, Roby Arventi because they needed someone to play down the wing. I don't think they can make that trade with that asset. So you have to think about it holistically and how it, it functions within the context of your whole oper- organization and, and how you can leverage these assets. And that's why I'm really a, a best player available guy. And yeah, and I do think that's, that's totally reasonable, but the, where, where I guess like I, I start to, cause I, cause I have complicated feelings on this and where I kind of, I guess, start to deviate from that is, you know, people will often say like, oh, well, you know, if you're if you know, you can just go out and trade for uh, for a defenseman if you need one. Um, I am not entirely sure that that has borne out (laughs) over the over the past several seasons. Like, how often can you really trade a winger for a defenseman, even if the winger is really good? And now to some extent, it's like one for one. Yeah, huh? Huh? Taylor yeah. Hall. And, uh, that, that is true. Yeah, <laughs> uh, if you, especially if you want a significantly worse defenseman than the <laughs> forward. <laughs> at least at the time, I actually think now they're that with several years uh, having passed, they're probably closer in value to one another than they were at the time. But mm-hmm. um, the you know the, the I do think it's it's sort of. I can see why teams would think, boy, like you can really only get a a right-handed defenseman by drafting him. And so where I start to like deviate, I guess, from the conventional wisdom or where I start to uh, get curious about the possibility of maybe approaching things differently is in the later rounds. Mm -hmm. And I was, I've sort of been thinking about you know, like I, the 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 draft that I always come back to that I always think of is 2019 uh, when the draft was in Vancouver. The Canucks took Vasily Pudkolzin and they took uh, I believe was that the year they took Niels Hoaglander in the second round yeah. as well? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, both and both good, you know, reasonably good picks. I think Hoaglander especially like great second round pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't want to I don't want to criticize their work too much. But they had nine or ten picks, and they didn't pick a single defenseman. And they had a really obvious positional need there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I do kind of think that that's not acceptable. 
Well, I, well, if you applied that logic, though, to say the, you know, you use the late round picks to address positional need, mm-hmm. have Archer Seelovs because he was taken in the sixth. Yeah, fair you enough. Have Aiden McDonough because he was taken in the seventh. Mm-hmm. Um, and you go up and down the list, right? Like, I, I think ultimately you have to trust that your process will lead you to the best players. And then you, you can, you can make stuff happen from that point. And the funny thing too, is that the Canucks had defensemen on their board in 2019. It just mm-hmm. didn't fall the way, like, obviously they did. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. didn't fall the way they wanted it to. Like, I know they had someone in the seventh that they really wanted ahead of Coastmar. Uh, it just didn't work out. And, and yeah. I have that happened a few times because it's not like as an organization they went into that process and decided well we can't be taking any defensemen they just stuck to the process no and i can't i can't countenance obviously just taking a defenseman because he's a defenseman like yeah. obviously there th- that goes back to the discussion we had earlier earlier where it's like okay you can't like players have to be pretty close in quality Mm-hmm. For, for you to start taking position into account. And I do think that's fair. And uh, but where 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 I guess like my a, a, a feeling that I haven't been able to rid myself of over the past season, especially just kind of say, seeing how fungible like non star elite level wingers are like every other type of winger and goaltenders mm-hmm. are at some point I started asking myself like obviously there are exceptions like there are always going to be guys that fall that shouldn't fall and that should be like the number one guy you're trying to pick up in later rounds but mm-hmm. to some extent there there is a a part of me that starts thinking like what are, what are you doing drafting a winger in like the sixth round like just take whoever the best defenseman is or or take like a goalie or or something because like if you're if you're taking a winger who's already playing wing in junior so he's not going to turn into a center uh, and you're 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 pick, like it, it 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 basically i i guess at some point the the you have to start considering position as an as a potential upside play as well because you like do. the the upside of picking up a de- like a you know sixth or or I mean not that you shouldn't be drafting somebody to get a sixth defenseman anyways but like the upside of picking up a contributing defenseman who might play you know lower down the lineup is exponentially more valuable than picking up a depth winger if mm-hmm. that makes sense yeah, yeah and, and the analytics bear out that that you have more success drafting defensemen in the late rounds than you Which would ma- makes for... perfect sense to me because they're harder to project right yeah absolutely it, it does make like intuitive sense uh th- like th- that said though i mean if you look at the canucks specifically you have so many examples of trying to draft defensemen because yeah. <laughs> it, and it just blows up in your face i mean you look at yoni yermo too that was a pick like everyone in the league knew that they needed defensemen so yeah. there was a run in the the early third, and then they got stuck with the bag, and it was like, uh, okay, I guess we'll take Yoni Yermo. And yeah. now I don't even know if he'll get an ELC. Like the fact that he's not in North America at this point, it's what his draft plus two. Like, ooh, that's not good. That doesn't speak to an organization that's happy with the the pick or the prospect, right? And so, like, I, I get what you're saying. And if you do have a multitude or a volume of picks, I think you have more 
latitude to enact that strategy. And certainly like the example that you pulled the 2019 draft, I mean, they had nine picks. It was the one time they had a surplus in the Benning era, but (laughs) you know, I still like, ultimately you got to be happy with how that draft went. You have four players who played NHL games and it's what three, three years out. Like that's pretty impressive and, and the potential for more too. So um, I, I think it's a delicate balance kind of, and yeah, I got to be careful, obviously. Yeah. Like you don't want to pass up on the McDonough because you wanted, you know, I don't know the, the Victor Pearson sure. of, of class. Right. So it's, it's a delicate balancing act. And I do, I think, I do think that you have to take that stuff into account, but you have to be really careful about it too. Yeah. I ultimately, like, I guess what I'm saying is I have no problem with particularly in the later, later rounds, like, throwing in position, which I think ultimately everyone actually does this anyways, so they should just be honest mm-hmm. about it. But, like, throw position in there on the same level as, like, whatever other, like, non, uh, like, less obvious attribute that you might be looking for. In a mm-hmm. Like a variable. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, uh, yeah, well, and, and, and one thing I thought of too, and I didn't mean to cut you off, but no, but no, no worries. I thought of too, like, you have to think of it holistically. So, in like 2019, not to keep using that word, uh, yeah. <laughs> like, they also signed um, two undrafted free agents out of college, both played defense. Yeah. And it's about the same odds for a UDFA as anyone from about the sixth round on, right? So, totally. you can look at it in that respect and go, well, they still added two defensemen to the pool one of which Brogan uh, Rafferty played NHL games. Yeah. So, you know, like I'm not as upset with that draft, I guess is what I'm saying. And I know you just used it as like one example, but just to, yeah, totally just as a random example, but yeah, yeah, I mean, that, that's a good, it is a good point because I remember at the time just being like, what the fuck are they doing? But you mentioned like looking back now, like, oh yeah, they did get McDonough and Seelovs and those are, you know, definitely better than average picks for where they picked them. So like, I obviously you can't go too far with the, like, why didn't they t- pick any defenseman thing? No. Um, and I mean, you look at Hiroshi, like he's yeah. more, more likely to play 200 games than anyone they could draft. Yeah. Then they would have been able to pick, pick up five, in, in round six or what? Well, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, the, where, where I guess I, I, I'm in, like, I'm in favor of considering it on the same level as like you know like to to use like the money ball thing like it's a lot smarter to think hey you know a right-handed defenseman's a lot more valuable than a left winger than it is to be like well is his girlfriend ugly you know like the other right. stupid <laughs> shit that, that uh that scouts care about like Chica uh, in the cut checking out uh skull shapes yeah exactly yeah. right yeah like it's it's just one of those things where it's like well who are we kidding the problem for me and this circles back around now to to the guy i wanted to ask you a little bit more about the problem for me is when you're talking about like round one top 10 top 15 like where the the differences in talent are so stark and so obvious and and everyone kind of knows like there's always tears like there's always you know you got the number one guy and then you know like in this draft anyways it's like okay well you got bedard he's in a class of his own maybe the best prospect since Sidney crosby then you got a group of i would say probably three guys uh that are all like not just first overall caliber but like 
first overall, even in a lot of pretty good drafts caliber, not just like, you know, 2012 mm-hmm. or whatever. Or, um, yeah, I would say three and a half with Benson. Sure. And, and <laughs> fair enough. And, high, but like, I would say that. And like, uh, like, yeah, like, and how, you know, and then the Mitch Kov thing is more complicated or whatever, although I would argue it shouldn't have to be that complicated. Um, no. And then you got, you know, another, then you got, then the tier kind of gets bigger. And then after that tier, you've got an even bigger tier. Like it, it, the, the differences between players lessen the further down the draft order you go. And I, I think in a lot of ways, 11th is really a great place to pick because you're looking at, you know, in that third tier of guys, just picking whichever one falls. And that's not a terrible position to be in to, to, I know like from my perspective, if I was in the shoes of the general manager, I would love to be able to just be like, Oh, uh, great. Like my decisions made for me. Somebody else took Mitchkov. Somebody else took Benson. Somebody took uh, Oliver Moore, and now I'm going to pick, like, I don't know, Matthew Wood or whatever. I don't mm. watch these guys the way you do, but, like, yeah, something yeah, like I, that seems, you know, and, and it like a reasonable way to look at it. Really special, too. Like, it could be Benson. It could sure, be yeah. Brian Leonard, who we have at fifth overall. Like, he's, sure. man, I love him. He's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, the, it seems to me like this draft has a lot of really ta- like really really potentially like elite contributors in it. yeah our, our shades of for for ryan leonard was uh was the third kachuk uh to oh, give nice. you idea of what of a player like what type of player he is i mean he's yeah. so violent he's so competitive <laughs> he's such a good kid too like i spoke to him a ton at the the u18s and just like a delightful individual and and he has all the skills like and a lot of people, the way they talk about him, it's like he he's guaranteed to play on the wing. And I think that's the most likely outcome because you look at his development path. That's what he played in his draft year. That's what he's likely to play at BC because he's going to be reunited with that line of Will Smith and Gabe Perot. But he also played center in his D minus one. And he played that on the U18 squad of the USNTDP, which is no small feat. And he also yeah. played at the U18s in his D minus one. So, like, I think he could follow the same development path of, say, Elias Pedersen, who didn't play center in his draft and draft plus one, but then he came to the NHL and he pulled it off. Like, I think I could see that happening for him as well. So, you know, if he falls, oh, boy, they got to sprint to the podium for that one because he, like, he would be beloved in this market. Like, yeah, yeah, fair enough. I mean, the if the, if the sort of... Uh like middle of the bell curve outcome is, you know, Brady Kachuk. <laughs> That's pretty good. You know, like, like, like if, baby too. <laughs> if, uh, yeah. And, and you, you know, like if, if it's like, Oh, well, you know, if he doesn't totally hit his ceiling, he'll only be the most coveted type of winger. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah, not bad. Like, uh, so that that brings me to uh, back to Nate Danielson, who I wanted to ask about, because, I mean, he has been linked to the Canucks forever. He has been like he's brought up at a rate that I don't think is commensurate with uh, his talent level relative to uh, the rest of the top of the draft class. And um, to such an extent that. I have to wonder if he is like I, I, Faber has has talked about this a lot. Like the potential of him as a smokescreen player, like 
everybody's just bringing up Nate Danielson because it's like, yeah, he's a center who can like kill penalties and, you know, yada, yada, yada. And, and he's just sort of an easy like guy to throw out there. It's like, Oh yeah, we like him. And what they mean by that is that it's like, yeah, we like him. We're not taking him in the top 10. Cause that would be stupid. Um, but at the same time, you know, what we talked about with Vegas, like the, uh, the intelligence of the average uh, organization, average NHL general manager, uh, it wouldn't certainly wouldn't surprise me if everyone just loves Danielson for for whatever reason. Um, yeah. What is the deal with this guy? Because he like I look at the numbers and I, I look at the profile and it just strikes me as not only a low upside play, but like a genuinely dangerous play in the top 15 to take a guy like that because he just his profile screams other teams depth guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the, the one kind of bit of pushback that I would have to that is that he was on a team that didn't have a lot of support. And yeah. if you look at his D minus one, he produced at ahead of a, a point a game. Now the, the one pushback to that would be that he's also an early draft mm-hmm. uh, birthday. Like he's a September birthday. So he's like, less than two weeks removed from being eligible for the 2022 draft. So you would expect him to produce at that level. Um, Like, I I think the smokescreen thing, I've heard a lot of that the last week, week and a half. And and I think it's a possibility, but you also have to look at the precedent they set this, this regime anyway, with, with LaCaramacchi. I mean, everyone knew that was the pick for like a solid two, three weeks ahead of the draft. Then when it rolled in, it was like, well, Kel surprise, like we all knew this was happening. Mm-hmm. So the precedent isn't that this group will do that sort of thing with smoke screens. Like they seem to like have kind of a leaky ship, you yeah. know, when it comes to this stuff. So, you know, I I, I think it's a possibility, but past, past precedent tells us it's not the likely one. Um, and and like he's he's interesting, like he has speed, he has some physical skills, like he can pass the puck. He can shoot the puck reasonably well. Like he's a dual threat scorer, but I don't know if he has the intelligence to play center at the NHL level. And I don't know if he has the intelligence to produce at a high level for like an 11th overall pick. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, exactly. I, I can yeah. see him very reasonably being like a middle six forward. And that's not even the worst outcome at 11, right? Like, I think people wildly overestimate like the likelihood of getting an impact player once you get out of that, that 10th overall range. But I, I don't like I think there are players who have more of a chance to be that than him who will be available. Yeah. And, and this is not any old draft either, too. Right. No, like, it's like not. Nate Danielson at 11 in some drafts is like, that's a great pick. Oh, yeah. It's like just in, this in 2022, draft. Fine. Yeah. You know, like if that's who they took in the Karamaki spot. I would have been like. Well, all the power to you, yeah. but I don't know if that's that's how I would feel in this draft, especially not with the talent they would have to leave on the board to to make that pick. The one thing I'll say too, though, is that the Canucks aren't alone in their affinity for this prospect. Like, I, I think it's more broadly held consensus within teams that he is about a top fifteen talent. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it wouldn't surprise me, for example. I mean, the Blues—they don't take. Like they always take centers with their first round forward picks. Like, yeah. would it surprise me if they took him at nine? Like, not not necessarily. Like, I could see it, and he would fit in the mold of the player that they like. So, you know, we don't see it at elite prospects. We have him at, I believe, twenty seventh. And and it's yeah. funny. I actually had to do his write up for the draft guide 
a bit of a plug on that. Um, mm, nice. Yes. And, and it was funny because like I'd watched him throughout the year and, and like I had an idea of the player, but I wanted to brush up on, on him. And so I watched more footage to kind of, you know, brush up for the write up. And, and I just couldn't get excited about him. Like one thing that was really striking was that I kept having to watch games because I kept going, okay, what do they see? What do they see? Like, how do I write about him in a way that, you know, is, is, that aligns with his uh, late twenties, you know, spot on, on our ranking. And I just, I really struggled with it. Like, I'm just not very enthusiastic about Nate Danielson. So yeah, it's, it's just, I don't know. I think that's one where the the team and the public sphere are just pretty divergent. And we'll have to see with time who, who turns out to be right. And it does, it does go either way sometimes. Right. Like, oh, yeah. like there, I think about there's um, an asymmetry of, of knowledge like they for sure they yeah. have more resources, more boots on the ground more interviews with the prospects themselves like they, they like we can't keep up in the public sphere we just can't which is why I have a, a hardened rule that is like if a pick is reasonable you can't complain yeah, you just you, you just don't really know yes exactly so sorry I didn't mean to cut you off no I was I was gonna say fine. the example that I think of is Horvat Nachushka because yeah. like that is an example of two guys who were perceived in a certain way who flipped essentially like completely flipped. Yeah, yeah. like like i feel like we've we've come back around to almost being vindicated on the nachushkin thing but it's in the most all of us <laughs> yeah but like yeah exactly but in the most uh, hilarious and unexpected way because it's like is Nachushkin more valuable than Horvat? I think you can kind of make the case, but yeah. because of his defensive profile, which is hilarious. And then Horvat, on uh, on the other hand, is is this like, I don't want to say like all offense guy, but his whole thing was like, he's going to be a great third line center because he can check and kill penalties and la 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 la. Like, he's so good. bad offensively too. Yeah, wow. he's just not that. It's it's very funny. Um, And that that just brings me to the last thing I wanted to ask you kind of on this theme, which is like, is there actually such a thing as a floor bet in the first round of the NHL draft? Like, is there such a thing as a player that you pick and go, well, if he doesn't hit a ceiling, his ceiling, he's at least going to be, you know, a good like bottom six player or whatever. Or is that just kind of like hokum? Because is can't think of really of a good example of that actually happening and working out well it both is and isn't like one of the the early findings of the draft analytics uh era especially at canucks army was that floor and ceiling share a symbiotic kind of relationship mm -hmm. like if you have a high ceiling then you have a high floor um having added some domain knowledge i suppose you'd call it with with scouting and improving my craft on that i think you can identify high floor players right like you look at people who are more physically developed like they have less runway to to grow into their frame and, and to grow their their game accordingly right so you look at someone like a nate danielson he's pretty physically developed like he might be close to his peak that to me would be a high floor bet um and and even i think you could make a a, a like case for ryan leonard who is again pretty physically developed like how much runway does he have to become more i don't know <laughs> like muscular or, or yeah. like, you know what I mean? Like how much can he add physically to what he is now? 
And that helps dictate if they've arrived at like a, their ceiling already. Like, I think it's, it's more about timelines than it is about like specifically high ceiling, high floor, like, because sure. everyone develops physically at a different rate. And I think that is going to play into um, how you define that. So for me, that's one thing that I've noticed as I've gotten into scouting is that, you know, if, if a scout tells you someone is really physically along, like that's actually kind of a knock against them because yeah, it exactly, they're yeah. closer to reaching the apex of their game than someone who like Gabe Perot. Like you look at Gabe Perot and it's like, oh, that dude could easily add like 40 pounds. And what would that do for a stride? Um, do you know what I mean? Like yeah, that totally. for me is how I try to identify these players now is by talking to scouts and saying like, well, what can you tell me about who's, you know, fits these profiles? And, and so, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's not like a hardened rule. Like I, I used to kind of buy into the idea that ceiling and floor kind of were the same, but I think it's a bit more flexible than that. Like, I think you have to have some domain knowledge to apply that rule to the draft and come out with the best conclusions. That's fair. That makes sense. Um, we're uh, running up against it here. So I just want to uh, save like the last couple minutes here for, uh, just general thoughts on the OEL buyout uh, from from both of you, honestly, because it is, I guess, basically the biggest piece of Canucks news uh, that's happened in several weeks. Um, I, I, it's been treated like it's this really huge deal, and I suppose it is, um, certainly from a financial standpoint, and also from the standpoint of they actually can make moves now, but. Uh, I don't know. I, I guess a part of me kind of just always thought like, yeah, of course, this is what's going to happen. So I I sort of didn't react that strongly to it. I was surprised that it happened now. I just wasn't surprised that it happened, if that makes sense. Vyas should should go first because he's been quiet for a bit. It's true. Yeah. Let me see, buddy. Yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, it has the feelings of uh, too little too late. It's uh, it was yeah. fun to celebrate for a day, but uh, but I guess it was also fun to to get back into the old anti-Benning ish discourse yes. and see who's stupid again. Like like do a little tally, you <laughs> yeah. know, like survey, <laughs> ring the bell, everybody come, <laughs> raise your hands if you're stupid. Um, and we haven't had that for a little while. Uh, it's been it's been kind of uh, subtle, a little bit too subtle lately. So yeah, uh, I guess I had fun with that and I. Uh, with the Hronik deal, I'm curious about this take, and I just want to test it out with you guys. But did the Canucks know that Hronik was injured when they acquired him? Because to me, if they did, then that just signals like how much more of a long term bet this was going to be. That they knew that they were going to get rid of OEL. Hronik was was not there for for playing this. Like was not acquired to play this year, pretty much at all. Uh, and that they knew they, they knew they were going to do this. Like, do you do you think that has any water? Like, and and in addition to that, did you did you believe Alvin when he said that they weren't going to buy buy him out or buy anybody out? I don't believe Alvin when he says anything. Yeah, yeah that's but that's number one. Yeah, I don't yeah. think it, his his phrasing was was ironclad. It really wasn't. Like he said, yeah. He, yeah. he wasn't to use buyouts, and and so. On the Heronic thing, Heronic thing though, like they would have had to know, otherwise they would have a grievance with Deshaun. Yeah. Like they, yeah. they couldn't make the deal without having full disclosure about his medicals, especially because like it was public knowledge that he was battling the shoulder um, injury. So they would have to know. Uh, I see. I see. Okay. 
Fair enough. Yeah, uh, I, it it wasn't my intention uh, to take the bus and show up late to work today, but that's what's going to happen. And uh, <laughs> I knew awesome. that that it uh, that there was a possibility that it, that it would happen. So yeah, like I, I, I mean the the whole uh, mo for all of Ian is to leave enough room to completely backtrack on whatever he says at any point. Uh, to, to always be able to say, well, no, I actually meant this or, oh, well, this happened or whatever. But like the OEL buyout, you know, I was building a roster for uh, the Canucks, like a, a take advantage of this one year where Hronik and Pedersen are, are on cheap-ish deals uh, roster for the offseason long before any of this stuff happened. And there was just no way you could do it without buying out OEL. There was It was never even in question to me that that was really their only way out. And the only part of me that was like, okay, well maybe they won't was just, is Francesco that stupid? He just won't let them. What? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's the right move, but it's the only move they could make. So I don't see it as like a huge win for this, this front office. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. like, no, I don't either move although one one thought i've had is like did they make the ronick acquisition knowing that it would force aquilini's hand to do this buyout was that I like i thought about that too yeah was that oh, like interesting play to kind of force the hands of of the aquilini family i don't know uh if it was i only gotta tip my cap because that was pretty smart <laughs> i do think they do certain things with the intention of strong arming ownership into getting them to do what they actually want to do like i think they're much more cognizant of the fact that their owner sucks and that they have to kind of like big dick them often well yeah um, i've heard that real in relation to the way the boudreaux situation uh unfolded and i think you can there's some breadcrumbs that you can definitely follow and i haven't necessarily agreed with the way that in fact i i've rarely agreed with the way that they've gone about it but i guess i would rather have a general manager and a president that know they have to do that and and do it than who you know stay in power for eight years because they just go okay francesco whatever you say yeah. well the thing about this this new newish front office is that like every press conference isn't a plea to fans. It's a plea to Aquilini. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's who they speak to. It's not for the, 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 the fan or the audience it's, it's for ownership. So mm -hmm. like they do seem cognizant of that at least. And I think that they get a due of credit for that, but also my God, <laughs> even in that framework, like so much of what they do just doesn't make sense. Yeah. So yeah. Still fun times in Canucks land. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's good to have stuff to talk about. It is good to have stuff to talk about. I look forward to the next, uh, week or so and seeing what they're going to do and uh yeah Are they're going to buy the... underlie oh yeah that's a that's a good one to end out on do you think uh they'll be dipping into the free agent market significantly in the off season or with do you what? think maybe they're they're looking at something else instead with what money <laughs> like well with the money from the oel buyout well, yeah, they're six and a half mil, and it's like, how much of that is already accounted for? I mean, I suppose the counter would be that, like, you you might place um, Poolman and and Pearson on on LTIR, and that'll open up space as well. But like, 
I think they just have to sit out the first week of free agency. Like that, that's what they should do. I mean, like you look at what they did with the Nate Schmidt acquisition, like, could they do something like that this off season? I think that, you know, you look at what the Colorado avalanche just did this morning. They, they yeah. got Brian Johansson for nothing and half of his price because the team wanted cap flexibility. Like, I think there has to be like moves for this team to make. And, and so that's what I would do if I was this front office, because all I see is just landmines like Barbashev is going to get like what five plus million, <laughs> you know, like yeah. and you want to participate in that marketplace. And, and, and if you do, like, how do you win? Like so much of the talk has been like, Ooh, Carson Susie. It's like, that's a third pair defenseman. And, yeah. and the discussion is about him getting like what four years and, and three plus million. It's like, Oh, geez. like if that's the best you can do, just sit out the first week, see what falls loose, talk to some teams who have cap liabilities that they can't sustain and, and just, you know, be a vulture, be a vulture for once. Yeah. Uh, that that should be the the mo for this front office because they don't have a lot of discipline it seems like yeah. and so you really have to emphasize that like like what was the mckayev signing like i like the player i even yeah. think the contract is about reasonable but like that doesn't Not for this team though no no and, and it doesn't speak to a disciplined front office with a vision um so like i i just think that they have to have patience and see what's available to them as opposed to you know just throwing money around like a, I don't know, a drunk sailor. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's a, a as good a place as any to end it. Uh, any final thoughts from you, Vias? Uh, no, just that like, even as a guest or even as like a, a listener on the show or what am I co-host? I'm a co-host. Yeah. Of like course. JD, your analysis is always better than anything else that I ever hear. It's always clearer and more coherent and also just, uh, it doesn't have the baggage of anybody else that I hear uh, on on these kind of takes. So thanks, thanks for coming on. You're, you're I, I I make fun of you a lot, but uh, but you're very very good at your job. And other people should subscribe to uh, Elite Prospect and get more of that. Agreed. Uh, JD is uh, hands down my second favorite uh, writer on the draft and prospects, second only to uh, Sam Cosentino, obviously. Well, <laughs> I love that. Thanks so much for having me on. And we've talked a lot in recent episodes about like what's going to happen with the show. And so I'm going to get sappy now. Like I love this show. So much. I love what you guys have done with it. And it's funny because I, I think about the chat we used to have and, and the early talks about, you know, putting this show on. And mm-hmm. I was concerned, like, could I do it with my job? Could I be a part of it? And Ultimately, I bowed out, obviously, but I've always felt felt spiritually like the fourth mic. Do you yes, know what you are? Absolutely. You are. Yeah. And and just like, I'm so glad this show happened. And I think that the way it was set up and configured, like it turned out the best way it could have. Um, oh, that's very nice. I hope, I hope it keeps going. I love the show. I need a leftist Canucks podcast. <laughs> um, so Jackson, I trust that you'll keep this, this ship afloat in some capacity. And I I hope that uh, I have a new lore in yeah. there. I'll I'll have to figure something out. Yeah. The best case scenario is that we both procrastinate so much that we just have like a year long farewell tour and then just end up continuing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> There's honestly a good chance of that happening. So thank you. That's very. I sweet. feel like the, the, just saying just the saying. way that it ends, yeah. in my opinion, is that I, I somehow just end up fusing with something else where I, I continue to do this, but just don't have to put in any work. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I, I'll, I, I'll spit. I'll speak to HR and we'll figure this out. Yeah, I handed off producer duties to Justin and now I just have to hand off hosting duties to someone else and then I'll be fine. Applications (laughs) enclosed. All right. right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. You know all the stuff. Love you guys. Bye. See you guys. Bye. Ciao.